Dear fellow redeemed, we consider especially our reading from the Gospel of Mark chapter 1. And you've got to imagine, like Zebedee, he's got his sons working for him in the business, and it's enough of a business that it's not just a family business anymore. And they've partnered together with Peter and, and Andrew, and uh, probably their father at some point, maybe their dad and Zebedee had started the whole business together. And they've hired a couple of other guys, and they had heard Jesus, they had seen Jesus, but um, they had probably even heard and seen the baptism of Jesus. But then John was put into prison. John would not make it out of prison. John, the, the one who was baptizing, he would not make it out of prison. And he was only put in prison because he rebuked the king. He rebuked the guy on the throne and said, you know what, that's not right of you to take your brother's wife. And the king's like, rather than saying, well, you're right. <laughs> he's like, I don't like that. So you can go sit in prison for a while and he would eventually be beheaded. And after that happened, Jesus goes back up north to Galilee, in the same area where John had probably been preaching. And he starts proclaiming the kingdom of God, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. That phrase, time and again, the same thing that we talked about in the second petition to the Lord's Prayer, uh, what is the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is where Jesus does his ruling activity in the hearts of believers. How does God's kingdom come when believers hear the word of God and then they live holy lives according to it? God grant that this happen. But there's an interesting thing that happens. As Jesus starts preaching and proclaiming, maybe the crowds come out to him the way they did to John, but Jesus stops. And as he's preaching along the lake, he says, you know what, I'm just one man which is like mind-boggling because he was the one through whom all things were made. He was the, the word that God spoke and then, and then there was and the land produced living creatures and, and there's a tiger or a, or a cow or a deer during the days of creation. And Jesus said he couldn't do it all. Not that he didn't have the power, but he wanted to involve his people in that work. The exact work that the prophet Isaiah had talked about uh, a week or two previously, um, the work that said it's too small a thing for the Messiah to simply gather the lost tribes of Israel. It's too small a thing to bring back those who have wandered away. God said that the task is to bring the gospel of the kingdom of God to the Gentiles also to all the rest of the world, that this Messiah wasn't just for the Jewish people, but that this Messiah would be for all people. And so Jesus goes and he preaches, and then he says to Peter and Andrew and James and John, come follow me. And they've been invested, they've you know, probably you know, ponied up some venture capital to keep this business going. They are invested in the business and they're sitting there doing the work of pulling the lake weed out of the nets and mending the holes so at least uh, not so many fish get away. And when Jesus says, come follow me, he, he plays on what they already know. He takes them where they are, he takes from what they already know, which is fishing, and he turns it around. 
He turns it around from them um, being above the water, catching fish out of their natural environment and bringing them up for lunch. He turns it around and he says, I'll make you fishers of men. Not catching fish from the water for lunch, but catching people from death for life. It's kind of an interesting way that Jesus turned it around, that the fish natural life would go on living in the water, but natural man without the word of God goes on dying in his dying and his death. And Jesus says, you're going to catch people for life, so come follow me. And then he turns and you can hear the crunch of his sandals as he starts walking away and they're like, okay, that's it. <laughs> Drop the net and I'll, I'll catch you later. I'll take some, <laughs> I got some PTO stored up from the last 30 years of doing this. So I'm going to go follow him. And you, you think of that and you see it and you see it in your mind's eye and the way Mark describes it for us, almost as if um, he's relating for us exactly what Peter had seen and experienced And there's almost this sense, wouldn't that have been cool? Wouldn't that have been really neat? Where you're just doing your thing, you're going about your day, you know, um, maybe sitting down for your morning coffee or um, sitting down for, for work or whatever it is, and Jesus walks up and taps you on the shoulder, and it's not your boss, it's the Son of God, and he says, come follow me, I'm going to make you, um, make you a fisher of people. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to take your accounting skills and make you an accountant in the kingdom of God or something like that, you know. Um, but it'll be, it'll be incredible. Like, here is Jesus. That, that you, going about your everyday thing, everyday work, instead of delivering packages to houses, now you're going to deliver grace to people. That the Son of God would come to you personally and say, you know what, your life has a purpose, your life has a meaning, and here is your specific job, the one specific job that you've got to do And I'm going to do all the work to make you a fisher of man. Peter, Andrew, James, and John think, well, that's that's awesome. Jesus accomplishes the miracle of changing their hearts and leading them to trust him and trust his words. And you think about this, and um, Peter gets a good 30, 35 years out of this before he's crucified upside down. And John gets... um, gets a good 60 years before he, he's exiled to the island of Patmos. And, uh, and James, <laughs> I have to confess, I get all the Jameses confused in the New Testament. I think this particular James was the one um, who ended up being um, put to death by, by King Herod in a not very pretty way, but we have kids present. But they had a good run of it for a while, Right? Because here the Son of God came to them and said, here's the one thing that I want you to do. Actually, two things. Follow me, and in following me, you will become fishers of men. In following me, I will make you into something different. And, and for just a moment, you can just pause and say, wow, to have the Son of God look you in the eye and say, this is the one thing that I want you to do. I don't know about you, but I could, I, I could get the sense of being a little bit jealous, you know? <laughs> Like, here's the one thing that I want you to focus on as your life's work. And he's like, you're not going to miss out. I'm going to bless it. Um, you're not going to lose at this. The kingdom of God is advancing, and I want you to be um, among those on the front line that the, the devil will run away screaming before you, that you will see lives changed, that you will be able to rescue somebody from the grip of the devil. And... 
God's going to do the work of bringing them into the kingdom of God. Wouldn't that be awesome? But here's the thing. Jesus has done that for you in a, a greater way. That, you know, when you were baptized, he did that exact same thing for you. And he did it for you in a way that is like, you know, tangible and real and effective that at some point in your history, I think mine was 39 years ago tomorrow, um, at some point in your history, God Almighty reached down and touched you. And he resurrected you. He brought you, rescued you from death for life. He gave you resurrection that even though um, if you were baptized as a baby, you know, crawling little cute pudgy baby on the floor or whatever, um, but spiritually dead. And that God Almighty gave you spiritual resurrection. And with that baptism, through the hand of a pastor or um, maybe a parent or a nurse in the case of an emergency, um, but through that baptism, Jesus said, now follow me. And when he did so, he did so in whatever words the, the pastor or a baptizer used, even though you didn't know English at the time, um, he created faith in your heart. He gave you spiritual resurrection. He rescued you from, um, from death, and that water became the water of life. And that historical fact in your life that at some point somebody put water on your head and spoke words over you, that God worked through those exact words and that water to make you a tangible follower of Jesus. And so the question is, well, okay, what now? (laughs) Come follow me. All right, Jesus. Um, But you haven't come to look me in the eye and tell me what to do. And I guess that's, there's, there's two major stumbling blocks that often get in the way when we're thinking of this. Two major stumbling blocks as we wonder, how do I follow Jesus? First one is the, uh, the I don't know fallacy. Well, I don't, I don't know what to do. Therefore, I shouldn't do anything. I don't know what to do. Um, therefore, I don't have to do anything. I don't know what to do. I don't know what Jesus wants me to do. Um, and therefore, well, I'll just kind of bump along through life like a leaf floating down the river. And wherever I get pushed by the current, that's where I'll be. And the second major fallacy, we'll get to that in a moment. That first one, the the I don't know fallacy. I don't know what to do. Jesus says that he wants me to follow him. He told them he'll make them fishers of men, but I don't know what Jesus wants me to do. Well, you do. (laughs) He's given you his word that he wants us to be participants in this kingdom of God, that he wants us to be participants in this work of baptizing and teaching all nations, But that leads us to the second one. That that first idea of the I don't know fallacy is answered pretty clearly in the word of God of what he would have us do um, congregationally and individually. That congregationally we we baptize. We baptize babies. um, We'll have two baptisms next weekend. Um, I believe I'll have one on Saturday and, and one on Sunday. We'll have two baptisms for two brand new babies next weekend. And the work of our church is to go on teaching. We baptize them so that we can teach them. And the way, and here's the hint, the way that we normally accomplish this is through the lens of vocation. That lens, kind of like a magnifying glass, helps us to focus 
on what is it that Jesus would have me do. Okay, Jesus, you baptized me into your kingdom. Now, what would you have me do? And the world looks so wide open. Go and evangelize all nations. (laughs) I can't do that. The first answer is he gives us this lens of vocation. Who is it that you're married to? Who is it that you care for? You know, who are the, the grown children who are out of your house? Who are the grandchildren that you have special attention for? Who is the, uh, maybe the spouse that is yours or the other people that God has brought into your life? Who are the, the neighbors on your street or in your building? Who are the people that you worship with? All that, that big grand question of how do I follow Jesus? because he called me to follow him in holy baptism. How do I follow Jesus is focused by that one simple lens of vocation. That you've got um, people that Jesus wants you to serve in love and that in some cases, in many cases, you're the only person who can do that. (laughs) That you've got a specific responsibility there. So I guess I, I think that helps said to at least clarify the, uh, the I don't know fallacy, like I don't know what to do. I'm just going to sit here until Jesus comes down visibly and says, here I am, uh, touch my hands and see, now do what I told you to do. But the lens of vocation gives us the people and helps us to see the task a little bit more clearly. But the other fallacy if it's not the I don't know fallacy, I don't know what to do, it's the um, but I can't fallacy. I don't know is number one. Number two is but I can't. This one, um, this one is <laughs> always there. Um, and so you think of it this way, that Jesus says, go and evangelize all nations um, by baptizing and by teaching. And, uh, and I look at that and I'm like, but I can't evangelize all those people. I, I can't evangelize all the world, I, much less Lucas County, um, but I, I can't do all of that. So the follow-up, why should I do it for one? And if that's not the heart of it, then I've completely missed this. But I think, I think we're close. That you and I, perhaps we see the words of Jesus here and part of your heart thrills to the idea of the Son of God saying, I want you to follow me. And at the same time, that sinful, sinful nature tries to restrain all the work that your Christian self is doing. Tries to restrain all the work that your Christian self is doing and saying, but you don't know how, and you can't do it, by the way. You don't know or tries to restrain the work that your Christian self wants to do. But what about all the others? And that's where the truth of baptism kind of linchpins it all together, solidifies it all together. That the idea here isn't like you're turning the dial on your Christianity, like I'm, you know, having a really crummy day, I'm only feeling like 20% Christian or you know, it's a good day, so we're, we got up to like 60% Christian and, and a dial going back and forth. Um, but the truth of baptism is that it's, um, at the same time, you're still 100% sinner and 100% saint. 100% sinner, 100% Christian, and I know the math doesn't add up. Uh, math isn't my strong suit, but <laughs> I know that 100 and 100 doesn't add up to 100. But spiritually speaking, that's what is going on. 
That we're not, it's not up to you to turn the dial on your Christianity and say, all right, now I got to go follow Jesus. And, and I got to, like Pastor said, I got to watch out for the I don't know fallacy and the but I can't fallacy. And I just got to keep those in mind so that I can turn the dial a little bit more. No. <laughs> I should have started here. Because the issue isn't turning the dial on your Christianity and trying to be more Christian. The issue is a battle of life and death. And Jesus gave you the sword of life and the power of life. And in your baptism, your sinful flesh was killed and you've been raised to a new life. And so it's not you know, a little bit more of this and a little bit less of that, but who is the winner in this struggle? And some days, you know, you, it, it goes back and forth ever so, ever so quickly. You got like, you do one thing just for the joy of it, just for the love of it, and, and you get nothing out of it. And you're like, wow, I just did something good and godly and for a good reason. And then you walk into the next room and there's um, somebody that you know and, and you know just how to say the word that will get to the point, but you're not going to be blamed for it. They kind of go back and forth so much each day. But Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe the good news that there at your baptism, you were raised to a new life, that that is who you are now, that your identity is bound up in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that your identity is bound up in the cross on your forehead because the son of God came to you individually and personally, not with a word to men who were cleaning their nets, but with his word, to a heart that needed resurrection. And when he said, come follow me, he said, all that he has done, all that he has commanded is something that he gives to you. All that he has done and all that he has commanded that he says, come follow me. He's like, oh, by the way, um, you don't have to go find me. I'm going to come to you and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap you up in my arms in holy baptism and I'm going to walk with you. <laughs> And, and he's like, oh, by the way, you don't have to think about, um, I don't know what to do because he's like, I'm going to give you my word and then I'll make you joyful to do the things that you want to do. Joyful to do the things that God wants you to do. And, and even that tremendous command, go and evangelize all nations. He's like, well, yes, that is a command to all of the Christian church of all time. But you see how he accomplishes it, that everything he commands, he grants and he gives. That everything he commands, even in, uh, in the Great Commission, or even in the Come, Follow Me, is a gift that he gives and a gift that he accomplishes through individual Christians. Through individual Christians across time and space, and that our trust in accomplishing this doesn't depend on us seeing the results in our time, but it depends on us trusting that Jesus is serious about expanding his kingdom. And so, you know, sometimes I think about um, Peter and Andrew, James and John. I mean, we hear after the whole, you know, death, resurrection, he appears to them um, twice in John chapter 20. In the epilogue at the end of John 21, John's like, yeah, after it was all done, we had three years with Jesus and figured that was a good run. And so Peter said, let's go fishing. And the others said, I'll go with you until Jesus had come to them again because he had changed them, because he still had work for them to do, because even though the Son of God um, has the power to create from nothing, he has chosen to create faith by using the words and the work of people. 
Words that he gives and work that he does, of course. But he says all that. He binds all that up to say, dear Christian, everything that he commands, he gives to you. Every command that he gives is a blessing for you. And so it just brings us back to that one simple thing that we heard at the font, that they heard on the lakeshore, that the Son of God has come to you and said, dear Christian, you don't have to worry about um, what to do next. You don't have to worry about the, uh, the but what abouts because that's not your concern. Jesus says, follow me. Amen. Amen.